We're a week after Easter, and last uh, Sunday we said to you, hey, come back, and we're going to talk about what resurrected life and power means in the everyday of life, in the everyday of living. And we talked last week, our Easter message was essentially that in the resurrection of Jesus, the power of the future kingdom began, was ushered into, inaugurated into this world. It was light shining in darkness. It was just that first ray of hope and light in a world that had been dominated by death ever since the fall. It was the power of God here in this world, a power that will dominate uh, the world and the life to come. And I don't know if you remember the illustration I shared, but I, I told the story about our old youth pastor and how he used to drive on his way home from college. He'd drive by a, uh, on the interstate, there was a bar with a great big billboard, and on the billboard it said, free beer tomorrow. And uh, what a uh, clever little marketing thing that is. Now, I had somebody tell me, did you know that uh, the, the Crab Shack on 30 has a similar sign, free crab tomorrow? I did not realize that. So apparently others have sort of, you know, use the concept. But the, the, it's, con, it's clever because it's never tomorrow. It's always today. Except in the resurrection of Jesus, tomorrow came into today. And now, tomorrow is today. It is the beginning of a new age. It is the future age, now present embodied in the resurrection of Jesus, but now present by the gospel and by the Holy Spirit in this world right now. If you're a Christian today, you have that power in you, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And today I want to talk about this a little more practically because it seems to me that there's so much, uh, and and I know this because this is the way that for so long I, I looked at it myself, there's such a misunderstanding about what this, the the resurrected power of Jesus and eternal life, how this relates to everyday living. So I've got a chart here, and I've got to tell you, I've got a lot of charts today. I got a little chart happy in my preparation, but I I have charts because I think it's helpful. Look at this chart right here. I think this is the way most, most, if you're a Christian, you think about eternal life. Even you think about John 3.16. It's someday, right? So you're born you have a day of salvation, you die, and then all of a sudden, these benefits, like the gospel, sort of kick in. And now I experience eternal life when I, once I die. So it's like hard stop, hard, hard start, hard stop, and then this eternity uh, living with the Lord and being alive and not eternal death or hell. And I think that this is one reason that the resurrection of Jesus isn't assurance about someday I am going to be alive. And that there's this sort of theoretical future that if I trust in Jesus, I can sort of like have this hope that someday when I die, uh, it's going to be fine. You're approaching it like your free beer is only tomorrow. Your free beer is only tomorrow. And it doesn't matter today, it's not available today, it's only tomorrow. And the reality of this is why so many Christians, I think, live without the power and the victory that God intended for today. Because 
our eternal life, our free beer, is only someday. And we don't connect someday to today, tomorrow to today, and see that the resurrection means that everything's today now, okay? So that's where we're going. And I want to answer the question, what does it mean, this new life, okay? When I say new life, I, I mean that in the sense of the, the life of Jesus, resurrection life, eternal life. What does this new life mean in this life, in real life and in real living? Now, I'm going to approach this completely out of left field, to use a baseball analogy, since we are in the season now. Uh, because last week, I had, after one of the services, I had a, a woman come up to me and she said, I'm confused. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and then Jesus was raised from the dead. Like, what's the difference between Lazarus and Jesus? Did Lazarus live forever, or like, what's going on with that? I'm totally confused. And it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because Jesus was re- resurrected, Lazarus was resurrected, so really, what is the difference between the two? Well, <clears throat> First of all, let's talk about how it's the same, okay? Lazarus was dead, Jesus was dead. That's the same. Both of them were buried. Both of them had been dead for a few days, right? What happened to Lazarus when he was resurrected from the dead? Lazarus was raised from the dead back into a body just like the one he had before, just like the one that you and I have, which means that after Lazarus was resurrected, he started getting, he got wrinkly, and like his hip hurt, and uh, he had headaches, and things began to decline, and at some point, Lazarus died again, okay? How many people can claim that? I died twice. You know, being born again is like being born twice, but he's, he died twice. He died, okay? He died. He was resurrected, but he died. Here's how Jesus' resurrection is different than Lazarus' resurrection. Jesus was resurrected not into a body like the one he had prior. He was resurrected into a glorified body. He was resurrected into a body that would never die again. And Paul says Jesus' resurrection, let me read it for you before I summarize it here. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is 1 Corinthians 15. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Okay? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Agricultural term. Here we are in Indiana. These always work here, right? You drove by cornfields on your way here. We we sort of understand that in in the spring we see planters, and in the fall we see harvesters. And that's the way that agriculture works. And when the farmer sees those first corn stalks and the little cob forming and the first cob of the year, he can look at the rest of the field and see that there's a whole bunch of others coming. But that first cob is the first fruit or the first tomato or the first cucumber. In your garden, you pull the first tomato off, but you see all these other little tomatoes that are coming. Jesus' resurrection was the first fruit, the first resurrection of many, many, many others that are going to come. But it shows us the nature, the kind of resurrected body that we are going to have. Not like Lazarus, but like Jesus. 
Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that's what you have right now. You saw it in the mirror today, and you thought, this is really, this is all I got, right? This is what I'm stuck with. The Bible calls it a lowly body, and we all say amen, right? Amen. We'll transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Not like Lazarus's, because Lazarus's was back to a lowly body, but like Jesus' body, which was a, and is a glorified body. Jesus is in that glorified body right now. Jesus will be in that glorified body forever. And those that trust in Jesus will be resurrected into a body like his, a glorified body. So what I want you to realize is that to be a Christian and real life, new life in real life, one of the massive blessings of this is that our future is not merely the immortality of the soul. And again, I want to wipe this out of everybody's minds that to be a Christian just means that you exist forever. People in hell will exist forever. There is immortality of the soul. Every human being is going to exist forever. That's God gave us a soul that will exist forever. Our future is not merely in existence forever. That's exciting. It's better than the alternative, but it's not nearly as glorious as what God actually intends. Our future is physical. It is bodily. It is living in a physical world, a new earth. That's what the Bible says, a new earth. And this new earth is going to not have all the things that we don't like in this earth presently, and it's going to have all the things that we do like. Maybe our bodies is a microcosm of that. Your body is not going to have anything that you don't like about it right now. Was that an amen? Okay. And we all said amen to that. It's not going to have anything that you don't like, and it's going to have everything that you do like. So I want to do an object lesson with you, and bear with me, okay? I don't do these kind of things very often. I don't ask you to do something with me very often, but I, I want you to do this because I want to strip away a, uh, a heresy out of your mind about the future. Take your hand, okay, and grab your left bicep. Okay, everybody, I don't do it very often, just bear with me. Now squeeze, squeeze. Feel that? Do you want to know what you're going to feel like in heaven? You're going to feel just like that right there. You're going to have a bicep in heaven. Now I dare say it's probably going to be a little less, shall we say, cushiony <laughs> than the one you're feeling right now. And that muscle under there might be a little firmer than you're feeling right now, but you are going to have a body. You can stop with that, okay? You are going to have, you're gonna have a body, much like the one that you have right now, only now glorified, and within it, an immortal soul and existence that now death will never threaten again to separate. That's what death is. It is a separation of who we are internally with who we are physically. Okay, the material us and the immaterial. The material we bury, the immaterial goes on forever. 
That separation will never happen again. And that's the first thing I want you to know about new life and real life, is that Jesus' resurrection was the inauguration of this new life in this life. The resurrection brought the power of the age, what we view as the age to come, that sort of future thing, it brought it into the present world and into the now. The power that Jesus, that raised Jesus from the dead was not simply a one-off thing, like bam, I'm gonna raise him from the dead and then let's go into eternity and wait for everybody to come to us. No, it was the permanent invasion and presence of the power of God in this world. And what raised him from the dead, that power is the same power that saves us and that is at work in us right now. Here's how Jesus said it, okay? Remember Martha. Martha had the same confusion. Martha would have agreed with the chart, right? Your, your brother will be raised from the dead someday. She, or he says, my brother will be raised from the dead someday. Theoretical future, down the road. I don't know when it's gonna happen, and I don't understand it. It's just sort of out there. And Jesus says, what are you thinking? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Present tense, I am the resurrection and the life. And I think that's maybe a, su- a helpful summary right now. What does a dead person need? You could say, well, he needed a new heart, or he needed a new lung, or he needed this or that. But what he, once you're dead, you, what you need is you need resurrection. But merely being raised from the dead doesn't ultimately fix the problem. Just talk to Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, and then he died again. More than simply being raised from the dead, we need life. And that's what he says there. I am not merely the one who brings you back from the dead. I am the one that grants you life. And that life, when Jesus talks about that life, he's talking about eternal life, unending life, and not merely the unending existence He said, I have come into this world to give you life and life more abundantly. It is life, it is human life to its maximum fullness, its maximum flourishing, its maximum joy. Jesus didn't just come to keep us, we're not all on like uh, life support for eternity. He came that we might have an experience of fullness and righteousness and relationship with God and physical vibrancy and joy and pleasure and gladness and beauty like nothing we've ever known in this world. We're going to experience it in the new earth and in the new body. In other words, The life given by faith in Jesus is life in the realm of the kingdom of God. It is not merely a life not ended by physical death. It is a life sustained by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the power that is preserving us in our faith. Why are you staying a Christian? It's not because you're awesome. It is the power of God that is sustaining us in our faith and will until the day of final redemption and resurrection. Okay, so 
hear this. The resurrection is new life, the power of God. It is now present here. I am the resurrection, I am the resurrection and the life. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection indicates that a new kind of life is available in this life. And now I'm kind of talking to the person, maybe you're not a Christian yet, okay? Maybe you're not a Christian yet. And that's cool, we've all been there, okay? We all were at one time not yet Christians. Many of us here now are Christians. But the resurrection shows that there is a new kind of life that is now available. So let's go back to our chart here a second. And this is one of the reasons I have a burden about this uh, today, is that we, we look at we look at how can I say this? We live functionally atheistic. We live functionally atheistic. Yes, God once did something supernatural, but now the world is just sort of operating according to natural functions and systems, but someday it's going to be supernatural again. And we push off into the future any of sort of these powerful activities of God. And what happens is it leads to weak Christianity in this life. Because we think all the blessings and all the good stuff is yet to come. And we don't see it being active now. And so you just have people like, yeah, I put my faith in Jesus. I'm trying not to blow it until I die so I can go to heaven. You laugh. I think there's many people in this room right now, if you're honest, that's your approach. But here's the the reality. Our struggles are not in the future. Our struggles are now. Our struggles are right now, are today. Listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul writes. Uh, This is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This isn't future tense, this is now. Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is not future tense, that is now. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Romans 6. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Yeah, someday, down the road, after I die and I have eternal life. No, it's not someday, it is now. It is right now. The power of new life, the power of resurrection life is in this world. It's not someday, it's today, right now. Now, what does this mean? Well, let's go back to our chart. I told you I had a lot of charts today. Let's go back to our chart here, okay? So again, here's how, sadly, many of us live our life. And our view of Christ, Resurrection life or eternal life is too exclusively future. It is future, for sure. But when we make it exclusively future, we read verses like this in Romans 6 that, that Jesus' purpose in being raised from the dead that is that we might live in newness of life now. And we think, wait, what, what is this talking about? 
I would dare say most of us here today would love to have some newness in life now. Anybody ready for a new life? Okay, yeah, I, I could use a little different life, new life than I have right now. How do most people look for it or try to get it? Well, I, I think a new spouse would help in that. I could use a different life than the one I have right now. I think, oh, how about a new car? I'm going to go away for 10 days to an exotic location. And after 10 days in Tahiti, I hope when I come back to Indiana, everything's different. I've gone to Florida for years, and every time I come back to Indiana, I've never seen a palm tree, not one. (laughs) It's always the same. And worse than that, it's always me when I get home. It's the same me. And we try to change our circumstances to try to create a sense of newness in our life. But Christ was raised from the dead so we could walk in newness of life today. So what does this mean? Let's go back to our chart here. Actually, a different chart. What this means is, is that in terms of like the Bible, what the Bible is communicating is that there was creation, I could add fall, and you could add all these covenants and all of that, but in big picture, there was creation, and when, when, when mankind fell and the kingdom of man was superseding in our minds the kingdom of God, it wasn't until Jesus came, and specifically the resurrection, that for the first time, light shone in this dark place again. The kingdom of God is here now. That's what Jesus said. Everywhere he went, he said, hey, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It's right now. It's the beginning of a new thing. And so what that means then is if I can go from the big picture, let's go to your picture, okay? If you're a Christian here today, next slide if you would. Let's go to your picture. What this means is this, is that you were born, and at some point in your life, if you're a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus. You were converted, right? From that moment on, you are now walking in what is known as life or eternal life. Now, you can't necessarily see it, right? Not in the way that you do when you die, but you have it right now. It is within you. The power of God, the kingdom of God, all of these are talking about a similar concept. It is in us now. It is in the church now. And when we die, we experience that in a way that we don't currently, but it is the same thing. It is the same thing. We have a capacity now, a power. You, Christian, have a spiritual nuclear reactor within you. And God is exerting the force of his glorious will to transform you into the likeness of his son. And that is the most glorious existence that we can have, is to be like Christ. And the Bible calls that being new. Newness of life. You say, okay, well, that sounds good. But new in like what way? Like what are you talking about? So let me just 
break this down a little bit for you. What is new? We have, after coming to faith in Christ, we can change. We can change. Now, I'm going to read a longer section of Scripture. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Romans 6 with me. Listen as the Apostle Paul, and in light of what I've been sharing here, what he says about life in Christ. Romans 6, I begin in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means, or God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. None of those are impressing the future sense. What Paul is writing to the Romans is, this is now. This is now. You died to sin. Now you, are, you have the capacity to live in newness of life. You can change. A life, verse 6, no longer enslaved to sin. Now this can sound a little confusing, okay, especially if you're a new Christian. So let me just give you another chart. Okay? Oh, there it is already. I'm just making it as simple as I can here. We look at the resurrection of Jesus and we are like, it's amazing, right? Last week we had everybody here and we're all singing, we're all so glad, we can't believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and indeed it's a wonderful miracle of God, tremendous. But do we realize that the same power that we celebrate on Easter Sunday that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that God has placed within you. Think of that. Think of it. Incredible power to bring Jesus back from the dead. That same power is within you right now, Christian. Now why is that important? Well, because, well, actually let me give you a, a verse that, that says it very straightforwardly, Ephesians 1.19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? Okay? The greatness of his power that's in work, at work in you 
is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now here's where it's relevant. Listen, you might be here today and you might say, my life can't change. I am who I am. It's always gonna be this way. I'll never change. Let me ask you, what's harder, you overcoming your alcohol dependency or raising Jesus from the dead? What is harder, you transforming as a wife to your husband or Jesus raising from the dead? What's harder, you overcoming lust and porn or raising Jesus from the dead? And in every case, I hope you say, wow, I would say raising Jesus from the dead is a lot harder to do than to overcome alcohol. And yet that is the argument of Scripture. Do you realize, friends, that the power of God, the same power, we have a song we sing, the same power that rolled the stone away, the same power that rolled the stone away, the same power alive in us today, King Jesus, we call upon your name, no other name. Let me illustrate it this way. My dad was a 40-year employee of John Deere, engineer. So to, to grow up in our house, there were tractors everywhere, toy tractors and little John Deere tractors. And um, I, I, I grew up, we would, you know, decently often, we would go to a tractor pull. Now, some of you are way too sophisticated for this kind of an event. <laughs> but a tractor pull, they're actually a lot of fun to go to if you get a chance to go to one. Because they got all these tractors, some of them are like just, you know, production, and some of them are, you know, souped up and all that. And the way that this works is they hook the tractor up to a sled, and they have these sleds that are made to do this, where there's a huge weight, right, on the back of the sled. And as the tractor pulls, the weight goes higher and higher on the, on the sled, meaning that it's heavier and heavier for the tractor to go. And so, uh, and, and you win by pulling that sled the furthest. That's the winner. Okay, so it's easy at the beginning, but really hard later. Okay, it take, doesn't take that much power at the beginning, but it takes a lot of power at the end. What God does for us is the opposite of that. He does all the hard pulling at the beginning. The resurrection of Jesus displays the amazing power of God. And for centuries then, Christians have peered into that empty tomb and have just been astounded that God would raise Jesus from the dead, and then they look at their problem in their life. And they go, problem, resurrection from the dead. Problem, resurrection from the dead. And they think to themselves, if God did that, then he can do this. Okay? He can do this. And brother or sister, I want you to know, you can change. You are not stuck in who you are. And God's plan is to change you. And you say, why am I not changing then? It is not because the power and the capacity is not within you to change. The changing is your responsibility. But you can. You can. The Bible summarizes this this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, who, who doesn't want some new life, some different life? You can change. Would that all of us a year from now are a little different than we are today. So, secondly now, 
is that we're free. We're free. New life in real life is to walk in newness of life or to walk in freedom. This past week I was on a walk with, uh, I, had, I had Madeline in the stroller and Curly is like walking, theoretically, next to me as we went on this walk. It was just one of these nice days we had this last week. And so I'm, I'm pushing the, the, the stroller and Curly is not, she's more like, she's not walking, she's skipping. She's dancing. She's singing like little girl kind of songs. And she's just skipping next to me. And uh, she's got long brown hair. There's a little breeze in the air. And, you know, and, and she just, she's like, it was like a workout for her almost. Like she ran almost, almost the whole way as we we're going. And just singing and, and just being a little girl, you know. And there was one moment as I'm, as I'm doing this, I don't know if the sun caught her hair a certain way or what it was, but I looked at her and it was like a transcendent moment. I, was, I just looked at her and I was like, oh, she's so, to me, beautiful. Like she's just beautiful and vibrant and young and, you know, the world is her oyster and she's just, you know, free from the burden of tax week, and, you know, <laughs> she's just so gloriously, wonderfully young. But if I looked at her through the lens of truth, she won't always be this way, will she? There's a 20-something-year-old version of her that is already within her. It's already taking shape and forming who she is. There's a middle-aged version of her. It's already there, okay? It's already there within her. And someday, likely, she is going to be an old, wrinkly lady. Now she is vibrant, but she is subject to to decay, like all the rest of us, and just like you. Can you feel it? Do you feel yourself slipping? Maybe just imperceptibly a little bit every day, not quite as quick on your feet, not quite as balanced, little ache, little pain, little this, little that. Do you feel yourself slipping? The Bible says that we are in a creation that is in bondage to decay. Not just physical, but internal. A bondage to guilt, a bondage to judgment, a bondage to shame. You probably saw in the news this week, I'm sure the sports guys here did, that uh, Aaron Hernandez died by suicide in a prison cell this week. And if you don't know who Aaron Hernandez is, he was an All-American with the University of Florida, caught touchdown passes from Tim Tebow, uh, got drafted by the Patriots, was the youngest NFL player on any roster his rookie year, caught touchdown passes from Tom Brady. Tons of success, tons of money, tons of all fame and all the things that went with it. 
In 2013, he was indicted and found guilty of murder. And there were other allegations, and it just all played out in the press. And he always, you know, if you, if you ever saw pictures of him, even he was a tight end, so great big muscly guy, tatted up everywhere. He kind of presented himself like I'm the bad boy and all of that. Even, even in prison, seemed like he did that. He was imprisoned without the possibility of parole. And this week, he committed suicide in his jail cell by hanging himself. And you probably, it was in the news. You probably saw it all over the news. What you maybe didn't see in the news was that written in a red pen on his forehead was John 3.16. They found him hanging in his cell with John 3.16 written on his forehead. And there was a Bible on the desk opened to John 3.16, which says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, whether Aaron Hernandez had a jail cell conversion or not, we, we may never know. But here's what we can know. He wanted to be free. And on the surface, you could look at it, yeah, like he wanted to get out of jail. I think he wanted to be free on a much deeper level than that. To be so famous and to have such a fall from fame and success, the shame of being a criminal and a murderer, and whoever, who knows what else going on within that image bearer's conscience and soul. And we could look at that and say, what a tragedy. But in reality, it's a picture of all of us, isn't it? We are all in bondage. We are all in bondage physically. We're all subject to decay. We are all in bondage internally and spiritually, and we want to be free. And this is why it is so glorious to consider that what new life means in Jesus and that resurrection means, it means this. It means jailbreak. It means we're out. It means that there is freedom now available. There is a way to escape from not just death, but from ultimate death, from hell and the judgment of God. New life means that when Jesus came out of that grave, he dragged all of us out with him. And now there is a new way of living. There is a new life, a new power, a new reality, a new kingdom, a new age that will go on forever. And those that put their faith and trust in Jesus are given this new life now. Which means that we have living hope. And that's the third thing I want to say today. That we have living hope. Blessed be the God, this is First Peter, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why does he call it a living hope? Because our hope is in a living Savior. He is alive today, and as long as he is alive, our hope is always alive with him. And yes, there is a future dimension to salvation and glorification and all of that. That's wonderful. But if your beer is only free tomorrow, 
you are going to live in weakness that God does not intend for those that are his children in this life. You're going to think, I can't change. My life's always this way. I'm always going to be the person that I am. And it won't happen to realize that God wants to change us, that God wants to grant us a kind of life that as an image bearer, we want, right? We want freedom from shame and right relationship with God and now changing in my attitudes and my actions and my desires more towards the way God made me to be and to live as a human being away from hate and envy and covetousness and immorality and towards purity and life and light and holiness and righteousness and living in a, in a way that is a foretaste of what eternity will be like. Where we're all that way, 100% all the time. And then we're going to say, I wish I'd been this way a little more when I lived on earth. I had no idea what I was missing. And that is for today. That's for today. In Jesus, tomorrow is here now. Okay? In his resurrection There's new life, eternal life to all who believe in him. And we're as sure about that as Jesus is alive. And I'll just say it again. If you're here and you're not a Christian yet, why not? Why not? Why not put your faith and trust in him today? Begin a new life in Christ. I think of the words of Jesus at the tomb do not be afraid. In a sense, if Jesus was resurrected, resurrected, we shouldn't really ultimately fear anything ever again. Ever again. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. This is a song. Because I know, 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 he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. That's new life in real life. It is eternal life now and forevermore. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Amen.